Okay, we are almost finished with our Ten Commandments series. We are on commandment number nine today. Uh, Do not bear false witness. And just briefly, let me remind you, is that these commandments, this one like all the others, are embedded in God's beautiful, gracious freedom. God starts out the Ten Commandments by saying, I just rescued you. Now, here's how to live in that freedom. Here's how to live in the rescue that I've brought you into. So keep that in mind as we read and as we study today. As I have been doing, I'll read to you verses 2 through uh, the commandment that we're looking at. So that's through 16 today. So Exodus chapter 20, if you have a Bible with you, 2 through 16. Listen now to God's word. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and will keep my commands. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, and earth, livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We stand under it. We ask that you would do the work that you have promised to do by the power of your spirit to enable us to understand your word today. Soften our hearts and open our eyes, open our ears that we may see you and hear what you have to say to us, that we might know you more fully and Lord, in doing so that we might love you. You tell us that the grass withers and the flower fades, but it is your word that stands forever. We're thankful for that proclamation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as some of you uh, know, before, before I went to seminary, before, um, before my career kind of changed into being a pastor, I was in the marketing and advertising world. And I used to work for a high-tech company that had decided to to fire their outside advertising agency and bring it all in-house. And we had kind of a little in-house ad agency. And so I was hired as a copywriter to write the copy for this little in-house agency. And they hired a designer to do the designing. And this guy was a fantastic designer. He was a, a Photoshop expert. So if you know what Photoshop is, it's all about kind of image manipulation, retouching, changing kind of photos in, in amazing kind of ways. And this guy really was a master at it. Well, we had uh, a company party, 
just kind of think about whatever corporate stock, corporate party event that you've ever been to, this was it. All right, so it was food, and they hired a band, and it was lots of fun, and they were supposed to kind of pump us up, you know, get excited about us making more money and all of that business. And of course, there was a photographer at the party like there always is at a party, and afterwards, they had all the photographs sent to my friend, the designer, so that he could look them all over, so he could maybe touch them up if he needed to, and then get them all on the website, on the internet, to send them out to everybody. Well, one day, he kind of called me into his office as he was looking over all these photos. He said, hey, come take, come take a look at these. I got, there's some great photos of you. And he pulled up these photos of me with other people, and uh, I didn't know it at the time, but he had just kind of like subtly manipulated some of these photos. So like in one of them, my nose would just be like a little bit longer than it normally is, or my cheeks would just be like a little bit puffier, or my eyes would kind of be like a little squished, and I'd look and I'd say, I look weird in that picture. And he'd say, Nah, you look fine, man. You look great. What are you talking about? And he'd go to the next one. I'd be like, I look weird in that one too. And he'd be like, what are you talking about? Everything's great. And he finally, of course, broke the joke to me that he had been messing with the pictures the whole time. Well, really at the root, at the heart of this commandment, do not bear false witness about your neighbor, is the idea of picture manipulation. And it's the fact that we are prone as human beings to manipulate the picture of ourselves and of the people around us. And what God is actually proclaiming here is that our attempts to kind of even in subtle ways change the truth are actually something that he prohibits and forbids. Here's the way we're going to look at it today. We're going to look, first of all, at three reasons that God loves honesty And then we're going to look at five things that this commandment is calling us to avoid, and then four things it's calling us to embrace. And so, yes, if you are counting at home, that is a 12-point sermon. This is a record, I think, for me. You may want to mark this day down in history. It's going to be exciting. Buckle up. We got a lot to do. So let's start this. Three reasons why God loves honesty. Here's the first one is that God loves honesty because God loves justice. See, the, the, really, the, the thrust of this command to its original audience, to remember this is the people who have come out of Egypt, God has rescued them, he's about to bring them into this land that he's promised them, Canaan, and he is forming them to be his vehicle of blessing the world in that place. And he is telling them that he loves honesty because he loves justice. And so really, the first people to hear this would have heard this in terms of courtroom language, legal language. The the basic idea of this commandment is don't bear false witness or false testimony about somebody in court. And their legal system was a little different than ours. It was much simpler. There usually weren't any lawyers. There usually weren't any juries. If you had an issue or if something went wrong in society, you would come to the elders, who were generally speaking the wisest and smartest folks in the bunch, and they would act as judges in a legal proceeding against you. And one of the things that was really, really, really important, because there are no lawyers, because there are no juries, because it was a pretty simple system, one of the things that was really important was the quality of a witness. And so you couldn't go to court if you didn't have at least one witness. 
And if it was really important, you had to have more than one witness. So you couldn't sentence somebody to death or try them for murder or anything like that unless you had two or more witnesses. So what those witnesses said was so important to the entire system of justice that God wanted to see happen through his people. So if you had somebody that was perjuring, somebody that was lying in court, somebody that was bearing false witness about their neighbor, they weren't just lying, they were actually breaking apart the entire fabric of the justice system. And friends, God is a just God. He does not want to see sin unpunished. He does not want to see justice perverted. And so there's one big reason why God loves honesty, is God loves justice. Here's another one, is that God loves honesty because God loves people. See, at the heart of this is actually taking our neighbor's name and doing something inappropriately with it. If we are bearing false witness about our neighbor, then we are actually taking his good name and good character and we are abusing it. And God does not want us to do that with people because guess why? People are made in the image of God. Remember, just a few commandments before, God has told us, don't misuse my name. And now we're being told, don't misuse the good name of those who are made in my image. God has created human beings in his image, and when we misuse their name, their character, their reputation, when we take that and manipulate it in a way that's not true, when we manipulate the picture of who someone is, we are actually manipulating the picture of one who is made in God's image. So God doesn't just care about honesty because, you know, it's just a good thing to care about. He cares about honesty because he cares about you, about people, about humanity. And then here's the third thing. God cares about honesty because he cares about community. God's people are meant to be a community that he has formed together to be a countercultural movement in the world to be a community that runs counter to the rest of the world, to be something that everybody else in the world looks at and they look at his people and they say, you know what, something is going on here and it's different and we can't figure it out. Because these people seem to love each other in crazy ways. They seem to sacrifice even for each other. They uphold this system of justice that's the greatest thing that we've ever seen. They lay down their lives for each other. They are honest with one another. That community is really, really important. And you know what's really, really important if you want to have a community? You know what's really at the heart of the fabric of communal life? Is trust. And friends, when there is no truth, there is no trust. And so if we are manipulating the picture of those around us, we are actually degrading trust in the society, in the community. So why does God love honesty? God loves honesty because he loves community. Justice, humanity, and community. Three big reasons why God actually loves and cares about honesty. All right, let's move on to that second place. We've seen three ways then that God loves honesty. How about this? Five things that this commandment is calling us to avoid. The first is this, contempt. Now, contempt isn't a word that we use a whole lot in our society. Let me give you a couple of definitions of what I mean by contempt. Here's one. To regard another as of no significance and therefore worthy of maltreatment. Or how about this one? To find fault with another in a way that demeans. 
and this one I think probably hits home the hardest, to make someone else small and insignificant in order that you might feel bigger. To make someone else small in order that you might feel comparatively bigger. Contempt really, in many ways, is the polar opposite of humility, right? It is raising myself up and lowering another. That's contemptuous language. Listen to the way that Jen Wilkin kind of describes contempt. By the way, she's got a great book called uh, Ten Words. I can't remember now the name of the book, but it's really good, okay? It's on the Ten Commandments. Listen to what she says about uh, contempt. We routinely exercise our online speech in the business of tearing down the good name of our neighbor, our neighbor, the politician, the pastor, the public figure. The lack of face-to-face interaction increases our boldness, and we become drunk on the adrenaline rush. Man, you ever seen that, particularly online, in the world of blogs and social media? People that have become drunk on the adrenaline rush of denigrating somebody else around them. I have some really bad news. Is that if you want to find some great examples of contemptuous language, a really good place to look is in the Christian blogs. Christian blogs and social media are some of the places where we find the sharpest, most damaging language about other Christians. There are those in our denomination who say the most hateful and hurtful things about others in our denomination. There are some Christians who say the most hateful and contemptuous things about other Christians. It is all an effort to build ourselves up by making someone else seem small. I've been listening to this podcast that is fascinating. It's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Some of you have been listening to it as well, probably. And it's about a church in Seattle called Mars Hill Church and the pastor of that church, Mark Driscoll. And Driscoll, if you're familiar with him at all, uh, was a a fiery uh, preacher. He was quite the firebrand. He was very controversial in many ways and really was one who the Lord did a lot of good through. A lot of people actually came to know the gospel that had never heard the gospel before. A lot of baptisms, a lot of salvation, a lot of really amazing things, and at the same time, one who really used a lot of this kind of contemptuous language to get his point across, and one who by all accounts was a narcissistic leader who really ruined the lives of many, many people. This church that was once 15, 20,000 members or so doesn't exist anymore. Mark Driscoll's no longer the pastor. He is now doing something else where he is kind of building his own brand. He's left a lot of his theological convictions that he once said to have had. It's been a really sad story. And the podcast is really good. It gives a very balanced, uh, very informed approach. It's well worth the listen. But, but But my point really is actually not just about the podcast, but about what it's produced, Because there's some interesting consequences to what this podcast has done. I read an article yesterday about this. The article was called The Unintended Consequences of Failure Porn. And that word porn, I don't mean by sexually explicit kind of things. I mean by the interest that we have in watching others fail and what that does to us. And what this article was saying, and is really true, is that there has risen up an entire kind of online community that is speaking in the same kind of contemptuous language against Mark Driscoll because of his contemptuous language that he was speaking in. 
You hear that? So they are using actually the same sort of approach to attack him, to make him small in order to lift themselves up as bigger. They are using the same approach that they are then condemning him for using. It is a tragic irony and it's something that we do all the time. I'm going to say even even as I was listening to this, I, I found those same things kind of happening in my heart. But friend, contempt is taking the good name and the good character of our neighbor. And so it is bearing false witness about them. All right, let's look at the second thing. This one is probably a little bit more of a familiar word to you. It's gossip. Gossip. Gossip is false witness because it is not just the manipulation of the picture, but it is actually the dissemination of that manipulated picture to as many people as we could find. Here's what one commentator says about gossip. He said, in gossip, the neighbor's mistakes, faults, and shortcomings are discussed in minute detail. People realize this kind of chatter gets them an audience, for it is a universal phenomenon that we would rather hear something bad about our neighbor than something good. And something dirty always sticks long after the conversation has died. Isn't that true? You know, we could rail on gossip for, you know, all those people out there outside the church and their terrible ways that they gossip, but um, how about our little form of Christian gossip? Maybe you've heard this one before. Y'all pray for Susan, okay, because she's really in a bad place. Oh, yeah, what happened? Well, I mean, you know what Sam did, right? No, tell me, and then we're into it. What started off as a faux prayer request has ended in a gossip session. And we kind of cover it, you know, with our Christian language of prayer requests. And please pray for this person, but we're not really asking for prayer, are we? We're trying to sow a little bit of gossip. We're disseminating that manipulated picture to somebody else so that we can feel a little bit bigger about ourselves. How about this next one? The nice cover. Now, this sounds at first maybe like the opposite of contempt and of gossip, but it's just the nice face that everybody gives one another. It is the putting on of loads of sugar so that all the hard things go down super easy, but it leaves you with an empty stomach. And we're really good at this in the South, aren't we? Bless our hearts. We're great at it, aren't we? I got a text from a friend of mine who's a pastor the other day, and he, was, he had engaged in a text exchange with a family who was not only leaving his church, but actually was telling all of their friends how mad they were at my friend the pastor, and that's why they were leaving. So my friend tries to reach out and engage, and this is the text that he sent me. Just listen to this conversation. Me, friendly, but, not, but direct. Hey, can we talk? Them. There's no problem. We're just going to visit around. Me, that's fine, but I think it's best if we talk, because I love you. Let's find a way for you to leave well. Them, nope, no problems here. Me, I know you're telling other people that you're angry. Them, dang it, we tried to tell you nicely. Stop calling us. You know, it's, it's, it's one of the things about living where we live that just kind of comes with the territory, isn't it, about being Southerners, is that oftentimes when we don't want to tell people what we really think, we don't want to be honest with them, we don't want to have the hard conversation that we should have, we just kind of have the nice conversation. And we put a little sugar on it, and we send it over to them, and we expect them to just take it. But it's a manipulation of the real picture. It is bearing false witness. 
How about this one? Suspicion. Suspicion in the way that we treat others. Suspicion really is kind of the developing of a filter for the picture of other people. It's not just manipulating it. It's putting a whole filter on it, right? You know, when you put a filter on something in Instagram or, you know, on your computer or on your phone, you've got a whole different way of looking at it. It colors the whole thing. That's what suspicion is. It is the constant raised eyebrow to another person. It is the categorizing of that person in such a way that we now totalize all of who they are. We have labeled them and categorized them and totalized them such that anything that they say now comes through that categorical filter, and that's the way that we receive it, suspiciously. I'm not sure about that. And instead of engaging in love and hope with other people, we engage with them in suspicion, and we stand off a few steps, and we raise our eyebrows, and we say, I'm not sure if I can trust you, because now you are in a category. But remember what God loves? He loves humanity. <laughs> when we categorize people, when we filter people, when we totalize people, when we label people, we are actually dehumanizing people. We are not taking them as the whole of who they are. We are only taking them as a category for us to stand away from and reject. And how about this last one? This is our fifth thing to avoid. It's self-promotion. Now, the easy form of this, of course, of course, is boasting. Look at what I did. Maybe even the subtle ways that we boast. You know, kind of like it feels like, have you ever had a friend where it feels like they're always giving you their resume? This is what I did this week. This is what I did last year. Look at how good I am. Isn't this great? Like they're searching for a job or a promotion or something like that. But we do it in other ways too, right? And just kind of casting ourselves maybe in a particular light. It's the filtering as well, but it's the opposite form of filtering. We're putting a filter on our own lives that gives us a nice, rosy, beautiful filter through which everybody else will see our lives. In Hollywood, there's a technique called the Hitler cam. And it's called this because this is the way that Hitler would actually insist that all of the photographs or film would be taken of him is that he would place the camera just a little bit lower so that it was looking up at him because he wasn't all that tall. And when it looked up at him, it made him look taller, made him look more powerful, made him look kind of statuesque. And so all the pictures taken of Hitler or all the videos taken of him were always taken from that lower angle. It's pretty common in Hollywood. If you've got somebody you want to make look taller, look a little more powerful, you just lower the camera a little bit. It looks up on them, and you get a nice little picture that changes, manipulates things just a little bit. Well, we can do that in our own lives, can't we? Kind of place the Hitler cam on ourselves so that what we project to the world around us is, you know, kind of true, but a really rosy version of what's true. And friends, we have the most opportunity probably of any people in the history of the world to be able to do this through the internet and social media. The ability that we have to paint and curate the image and the persona of who we are and project that to the world, we can craft it and paint it perfectly so that the whole world can see exactly what we want them to see all the while kind of maintaining this faux idea of transparency. I'm an open book. You can see my life. I post every day, except that I only see exactly what you want me to see. And why do we do it? Well, really, the reason is pretty easy. It's because the truth oftentimes hurts, and it's hard to let people know who we really are. And so we want to self-protect 
And the best way to self-protect sometimes is to self-promote. It is kind of the, uh, we're, we're waging war already. We want to go ahead and let's, let's put that image out there so that nobody's going to ever dig any further. So there's our five things to avoid. How about we think a little more positively now? What are we to embrace? Four things that I think this command is calling us to embrace. The first is this, is to give others the benefit of the doubt. This is very simple and very important. This is the opposite of suspicion. It is simply to approach with love the people that we know in our lives and to hope the best for them. To treat them as those who are whole people without the raised eyebrow, without the filter of suspicion, without the category, and to simply believe the best for them and to give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, let's be honest. Will you be fooled sometimes? Will you be taken advantage of? Probably. I know of someone who was taken advantage of. He's the one that we get together every Sunday and worship. So in doing so, you actually will become more like Jesus. It is okay for you to not treat others with suspicion, but to give them the benefit of the doubt. Second thing to embrace is to, uh, to practice authenticity. The more that we practice authenticity, the less prone we are to manipulate the picture of ourselves. This is kind of the opposite of the self-protective mechanisms. And let me just say, one really easy way to do this is to do the majority of your relationships in person rather than online. If you have the majority of your relationships and your conversations face-to-face, it is much easier to be authentic than it is if you have that ability to project yourself online. And now let me give one really big plug for something that we're doing here at Hope, and that is our community groups. Because this is a great place for you to get together with other people and simply be who you are. And have another person get to know your life and gather around God's word and some food and some other people and pray for each other and just start to live life together in real and authentic ways. We can start to lower the walls. We can start to lower the protection. We can start to lower the defenses so that we can actually be real and authentic people with one another. So that's the second thing to embrace. Practice authenticity. And here's the third thing. Is that it matters not just the lies you tell, but the lies that you believe. So what is it that you're believing that's not true? You know, when you open up the Bible, it doesn't take you long to actually see the first big lie happen. It is the lie that Satan, whom Jesus calls the father of lies, it is the lie that he just just slips in to his conversation with Adam and Eve. Did God really say that you can't eat the fruit of that tree? Really? Maybe God doesn't really love you. Maybe God doesn't really care for you. Maybe God's actually really stingy. Maybe God doesn't want your good. Maybe he just wants to control you. And that lie just started to seep in and Adam and Eve started to believe it. Even such that it changed their activity after the fall. God calls to them and they're naked and God says this, who told you you were naked? Who told you that you were something other than who I had made you to be? Who told you that you needed something other than what I had given you? And that lie has been with us ever since. And so, so oftentimes the biggest lie that we believe is the same lie that Adam and Eve believed. 
that God just doesn't love us or care for us, that he's not going to provide for us, that he's a stingy God, that he's a God who really at the heart just wants to kind of keep us under his thumb, that he really doesn't want to see us flourish, that he really doesn't want us to enjoy him. But friends, that is not who God is. And he has sent his son, the way, the truth, and the life, to be the beautiful, true image of that proclamation. That God loves us so much and cares for us so much and provides for us so much that he would even die to prove it. Remember the reasons why God loves honesty? Because he loves justice. Well, what do we read all throughout the New Testament is that Jesus, through his activity, has justified us before the Father, that he has declared us to be righteous in the courtroom before the judge, that he has said, my work and my activity will stand in his place, and he has forgiven and now declared to be right. That is the beautiful truth of God's justice declared to us in Christ. And God loves humanity Well, what do we see in Jesus except for the perfect humanity and the one who would come to renew humanity so that we might actually live as those who we were created to be so that we could be true humans by being united to him. And God loves honesty because he loves community. And what do we read all throughout the New Testament is that Jesus in his work on the cross has adopted us into his family that we have become God's children and by being God's children have been united not only to him but to one another. We have been brought into real and true community. Friends, we have one who himself is the truth and who has given us his truth and who has called us to truth so that we might see more clearly the beautiful picture of who he is, of who we are, and of who our neighbors are. That's the picture we're called to embrace this morning. Let's pray that God would enable us to do that even now. Father, thank you for the truth who has come to embody your truth in himself. Thank you for the truth of your word that proclaims that you never lie. Thank you for the truth of the gospel that says that we are not who we once were and that we were that we are not who we someday will be. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that we celebrate, that you have gone to the greatest of lengths to prove how much you love us. Lord, because of this, powered by this gospel truth, show us how to present the right picture of our neighbor. Show us how to protect the character and the good name of our neighbor. Show us how to celebrate truth and love it like you love it. Show us, Lord, how to push aside gossip and contempt and self-promotion. And show us, Lord, how to embrace what it means to live according to the beautiful way that you have called us to. We pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.